$2 every day. Uh -huh. I think it's $2 every day. Right? Yeah. 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 Good evening. If you don't like singing, you might have cheered when Dad said there's only going to be two songs. Had you prepared a lesson that you were worried wasn't going to be able to fill the full hour, you might have been a little bit upset when he said he's only going to sing. I was hoping Isaac Watts had thrown a couple more verses on that last song there by the end, but uh, had not been the case. Tonight we're talking about Amos. I suspect we don't talk a whole lot about Amos. We don't talk a lot about any of these minor prophets. It's something that I have learned in the, uh, in the last little bit uh, in preparation. Uh, you know, I, I have a, a um, rough idea for what I want to do for a lot of these books. But there's a lot of them that it's just, uh, just a guess as to what I want to do. And uh, there's several of these here in a row that uh, kind of finding our way through, filling out, figuring out what we are going to talk about. But tonight, we're going to talk a little bit about Amos. But more than that, we're going to talk about crime and punishment. And uh, something that I think all of us could probably understand. All of us might have um, thoughts on uh, not really concerned uh, beyond just thinking tonight about what Amos said regarding crime and punishment uh, with Israel's neighbors. The problem that we have with thinking about things like crime and punishment is we're all for punishment for other people. We're not as for punishment for ourselves, or maybe people that we like, or people that we know, or in some cases, people that are like us. But crime and punishment is what Amos will talk about in chapters one and chapter two. And we're going to look at every single group of people that surrounded Israel, and how that Amos talked about crime and punishment for each of those groups. But he's from Israel. And Israel comes last. And you'll notice there's more on the board for Israel than there will be for any other group. And I think that we need to put ourselves in that mindset sometimes as well. Is that instead of fretting and worrying about the crimes and the punishments of others, we need to realize that there are mistakes that we've made. And we have to, in a sense, what Amos will say to Israel, to get your own house in order uh, before we fret about others. Amos, though, is a unique prophet. Uh, this is the 30th book of the Old Testament. If you're scoring uh, there at your seat there, uh, only nine left to go uh, after this one. So we have uh, progressed through uh, a lot of these. Uh, hopefully you've learned a little something along the way. Um, Amos, and we'll talk about this a little more in just a second, but as you can see there, uh, he was a shepherd, not uncommon for the time period, but was one of the rare situations in the Old Testament where you see a prophet uh, as someone who was not really from any kind of fancy background. Uh, typically, the people that were prophets had some kind of schooling or education. 
Uh, they may have been uh, brought up in under the king or under whoever the leader might would have been. But Amos is a uh, completely different uh, type of uh, type of character, uh, and in some cases, I think as you read through the book, you see uh, that people maybe look down upon him uh, a little bit, and he has to defend himself in a sense uh, against uh, against those claims. And we'll see that actually to start with. So tonight, we're going to talk about uh, this uh, again, this book of Amos. I think everything that we do tonight will come from the book of Amos, and almost all of it will come from the first two chapters. There's a little bit in chapter 7 that we'll start with, and then chapter 9 that we will end with. And then there's a verse or two from the New Testament that we'll reflect back on as well. But let's start, first of all, with just a little bit about who Amos was. And so Amos was a herdsman and a fruit or a fruit gatherer, uh, not an uncommon profession for someone who would have lived during this time period. When I say a herdsman, what does that mean? Yeah, a, a, a shepherd. Um, it might have been cattle, anything that would have been herded. But he refers to himself as a sheep breeder uh, here in this. And so I think sheep would have been the more likely thing. But when you herd animals, and it's a little different today. Uh, because of fencing that didn't really exist at the time. But when you herd animals, where do you go? With them, right? Now you can aim to steer them in a certain direction, but most animals will go where they want to go. And your job as a, uh, as a shepherd would be to do what to the animals or for the animals? Lead them, but protect them as well. Because if you have a hundred and you lose one or five or ten or fifty, you are losing money in the process, right? Because every animal is worth some type of money when it comes to their uh, their wool, uh, to their skin, to their meat, whatever it might would be. And so this job would be important. Now, why would it maybe make sense? For a shepherd to also be a fruit gatherer. Okay, as you drift with the animals, the seasons come and go, you're going to see different fruits that come in, right? Different fruits uh, will, will be ripe or ready to go at a certain time. And as you're watching your sheep sit there and eat the grass, it makes sense that you would maybe pick apples or pick pomegranates or whatever it might be from the place. Yes? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. So this this sort of twofold process, and I'm sure some of that fruit gathering would have been to feed yourself, but also some of it to, uh, uh, to, uh, to, to maybe sell or to pick for somebody. So let's go to Amos chapter 7, verses 14 through 16. And that's this uh, here to start with. And um, we've talked about this name that a, he is going to reference here, and this Amaziah. Uh, and he was the priest of Bethel, and he had sent a complaint to Jeroboam the king. These were some names that we talked about 
uh, a few weeks ago. Uh, and uh, Amaziah, if you go back to verses 12 and 13, he says, Go, you seer, flee to the land of Judah. There eat bread and there prophesy, but never again prophesy at Bethel. For this is, or for it is, the king's sanctuary, and it is the royal residence. In verses 12 and 13, what you really see Amaziah saying to Amos is, Go back to the country, you country bumpkin. He's saying, You're, You can tell all the little strangers down there where you are, but don't come to Bethel. Because this is the king's territory, and we got people that will handle this. All right? If you've ever been to Bethel down 39, definitely the king's territory down there, right? Um, but he says, Go back. In a sense, he's saying, Go back. We don't need you. But Amos responds. So let's look here at verse 14. Through 16. Mom, do you care to read 14 through 16? This is Amos in response to Amaziah, in effect telling him, You don't know what you're doing, go back. Then answered Amos and said to Amaziah, I was no prophet, neither was I a prophet's son, but I was a herdman and a gatherer of sycamore fruit. And the Lord took me as I followed the flock, and the Lord said to me, Go prophesy unto my people Israel. Now therefore, Hear thou word of the Lord. Thou sayest, prophesy not against Israel, and draw not thy word against the house of Isaac. So, Amos sort of tells you a little bit about himself right here from the get-go. I was no prophet. I was no son of a prophet. I, in a sense, Amos is readily admitting, I am nothing fancy. But he says, as he goes on through those next kind of, next uh, verse 15, but the Lord took me as I followed the flock, and the Lord said to me, go prophesy to my people of Israel. Well, guess who he's talking about? He's talking about going back. He's talking about prophesying to these people that Amaziah was around, that Jeroboam was king of. In verse 16, now therefore hear the word of the Lord. This is the Lord talking to Amos, and Amos repeating it. He said, you say, do not prophesy against Israel. You say, do not spout, I think the word spout there is really good, against the house of Israel. You're not saying don't prophesy. You're saying don't come in here and tell us stuff that we don't want to hear. There's a difference, right? We're all right with hearing news. We're all right with hearing things that people have done wrong and they got treated the way we thought they should have been treated. But don't come in here and talk bad about our people. Our people are fine. It's those people that are in the wrong. Well, Amos is going to, if we go back to chapter 1 and 2, which we're going to turn in a second, Amos is going to readily admit that the people of Syria, the people of Philistia, the people of Phoenicia, that those people were in the wrong. But he's also going to admit that Israel was in the wrong as well. And yes, your neighbors can do wrong, but you that, that doesn't give you an excuse for doing wrong also. Yes, sir? Well, in tune with Jeroboam, and the Bible says he's caught a uh, cause of Israel's sin. Yes. He's the one that did not want these people going back to Jerusalem. Uh-huh. Because if they go back, they won't come back, and I won't have them under my jurisdiction, and I won't have, I'll have less money and less power and prestige. So he put up the two places there uh, in, the, in the Israeli kingdom uh-huh. where people go. He's one started out of worship. Yep. And, uh, so the Bible says he calls him so that he's the king. And he don't, this is kind of raising mm-hmm. his head again. I've got these people here. And yep. happy. Leave us alone. 
And the criticisms are going to be on him. Yes, they are. Uh, just a little bit. This is not a Bible verse, but this is just some information. Uh, we have no information that I can find that I have seen about Amos' ancestors. We don't know who his parents were. He sort of readily admits that uh, in what we see. But he seems to be a strong prophet carrying out the task of proclaiming this message of judgment to what I would have said was an unresponsive king. We know what it's like for somebody to be unresponsive when you tell them something and they just don't respond back. Uh, that's what we're going to see with the king and with Israel. And Amos travels north to Bethel to the center of Jeroboam, uh, his kingdom, the priest. Uh, like we said, here's the prophecies. He says, you know, you accuse us. We don't need to hear any of this. And even though the king and the king's messenger or whatever you want to call Amaziah there said, stop, does Amos stop? Does he stop saying or prophesying? So let's go a little bit further uh, with this. We're gonna, I got a map up here in a second that we're going to look at, but Amos uh, will denounce nearly all of the neighbors of Israel in the book. What does it mean to denounce? What does it mean to denounce something? It's not positive. No. You speak ill of them. Yeah. Right? You speak ill of them. I think so. I, I think it's important to note that the word denounce typically comes when you are being critical of someone for mistakes that they made and they should not have made. Right? So it's not just me being mean to someone for the sake of being mean. There is mistakes that have been made and the, the, and the, and the statement or the reasoning that they have made a mistake. And so what we're going to look at here tonight is those mistakes, those criticisms of those people. Now, in some things that I was looking at and studying for in preparing for this, there are some people that have read this and said Amos should not have been fussing at the neighbors because the neighbors were not the children of Israel. And that they can't judge the neighbors by the same set of standards that they judge the children of Israel for. I get that. I get that. But he still says that if this is, if what you were doing, you're guilty of breaking the law. You're doing wrong toward people. And we'll see those examples. There's a quote or a, a verse, Romans chapter 2 and verse 12 right there. We read, for as many as have sinned without law will also perish without law. And as many as have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. So to me, the New Testament version of what we're talking about tonight is can we plead ignorance to sin? No, not at all. I didn't know any better. Not at all. I, it doesn't seem like that's going to be an acceptable term. And I think that's what Amos says right here. All right. So this, I could not find a good map that would cover Amos chapter 1 and Amos chapter 2. So this is just Amos chapter 1. So the, the last handful of places will not be on here. This may not do much for you, but this right here is Israel. Right? Now, this is Israel in the biblical sense. Israel in the modern sense stretches from about here 
all the way up to around about here and then over to about here. So, and then actually all the way down uh, into here. So Israel as a country today is a lot bigger than Israel as a land of pe- and people uh, there within. But Amos will speak about each of these groups. He will talk about Tyre uh, and Phoenicia. That city is still there, by the way. This is modern day Lebanon. Uh, Philistia, uh, this is uh, the area of Philistia. If you ever hear anything on the news about the Gaza Strip in Israel, that's what Philistia is. Uh, Edom will be destroyed. This area here is in the neighborhood of where uh, the children of Israel trying to get back from Egypt would have been wandering around in. Uh, Evan uh, will be over. We'll talk about that uh, in just a minute. This is modern day Jordan. Uh, sometimes hear Jordan uh, on the news or something. And then Aram up here, and this is modern day Syria. So uh, that, that doesn't, maybe doesn't do anything for you, but these are places that biblically have different names than they do uh, today. If you have a globe or a map at home, or if you see things on the news, a lot of these places are referred to uh, quite often. And so what we're going to look at is we're going to work our way through each of these places. And the last ones that are not on here is Moab. Uh, and, and, or at least they're not shown like this, but Moab, uh, Judah, and Israel. They're all right there. They're just not uh, marked out here. So we're going to go through Amos chapter 1 and a good bit of Amos chapter 2. And what we're going to look at for each one of these is these places, the crime that they committed, and the punishment that they had. Because I think all of us would agree that with crime should be punishment, right? That there's a reason that laws are made that there should be punishment. But Amos is going to point out that with each of these places, even the places that were not necessarily the children of Israel, the places that were not supposed to, and didn't have to necessarily go by the law, they had punishment that came to them as well. And we'll look at all of these right here. All right, so let's start with Syria. Amos Chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. The verses are here, but it might work better if you are in your own Bible uh, as well. Leland, do you care to read Amos chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, sir? Yes, sir. I will also break the gate bar of Damascus and cut off the inhabitants from the valley of Aden and the one who holds the scepter from Beth-Edom. The people of Syria shall go captive to Kerr, says the Lord. All right. Now, some of these things and these places are not going to mean anything to you. So we're going to kind of move around within them as we go. But you're going to notice something that happens eight times in the book of Amos. This sentence right here, for three transgressions of, take out Damascus and fill in blank. For three transgressions of Damascus and for four. That sentence appears eight times in the book of Amos. Do you have any idea what that sentence means? For three transgressions of, fill in the blank, and for four. That's a, you know, that's a, President Lincoln said that, uh, you know, those are, that's... I think it means time and time again. Yes, 
that, that's, what, that's what we see right there. It's not four score and seven years ago, uh, which was something completely different, 87 years <laughs> back. But that's a good guess. But it really is time and time again. So in effect, you're saying for three transgressions and for fourth. It's like three was not enough, he went back again. It's effectively saying for repeatedly sinning. Not just once, which could be chalked up as a mistake or an accident, but for again and again and again and one more. That's a repeated action. And so the crime for Syria right here is they have often harassed Israel. What does it mean to harass? To bother. All right? To bother. You know, the, the word harass is often linked with sexual harassment today, but it doesn't have to be. Harassment can just be bothering someone, just repeatedly harassing. Did you ever go to school with anybody who would be described as a harasser? Somebody just aggravated you nonstop? That, what does that do to you if somebody's just constantly at you, aggravating you? It gets real irritating, right? Why do you think there's going to be punishment for Syria for harassing Israel? Well, Israel was God's chosen people, right? And Syria couldn't leave well enough alone. So we have three punishments that show up right here. The capital at Damascus would be burned. What would it do? We've already looked at this in the last few weeks. But what would it do to, to a group of people to see their capital destroyed? How does that affect a group of people? It makes them angry. Okay? It weakens It does. What else? It scatters people. And we've seen that in, uh, often throughout the Old Testament. Their strongholds would be broken and their citizens would be enslaved. These are punishments that go with this harassment. Now think about that for a second. You might say, well, harassment was that was the kid that sat behind me just always flicking me on the ear or something. That's not that bad. Well, this is a different kind but it shows that there's punishment that goes with whatever the crime was. This is the first one. And as we see, we're going to work our way through to the next one. Syria is referred to as Aram, A-R-A-M, uh, quite often in the Bible. And Assyria, A-S-S-Y-R-I-A, is not entirely modern-day Syria either. It gets a little bit complicated there within. All right, let's go to the second which is Philistia. That was the one down there on the coast. This is Amos chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. Tony, do you care to read that one? Amos 1, 6 through 8. Scepter. Scepter. Uh-huh. I will turn my hands against Ekron, and the remnant of the Philistines shall perish, says the Lord God. A scepter is like one of the, it's like a king's, you know, staff or stick or whatever term you want to use uh, right there. So if we look at this, okay, so what's their crime? All right, well, the first one was harassing Israel. 
The second one, they had sold Israelites into slavery, into Edom. There might be a theme happening here. What do both of these groups of people's crimes have in common? In some way, shape, or form, they affected Israel. The first was for harassment. The second had Israelites sold into slavery. This was after Israel falls. All right, this is after, and they said uh, we read right there that they took captive the whole captivity to deliver them to Edom. All right, so what's the punishment? Well, the punishment was, as we can see right there, the burning of their four main cities. Gaza, Ashdod, Ashkelon, and Ekron. There's a town in Mead County called Ekron. I don't know if that does anything. Or it's never been on fire, but I thought I'd throw that out there. Have you ever been? Tell me, is that in your neck of the I didn't know if that was yours or not. Four main cities. All right, so let's, let's relate that to the United States. The four largest cities in the United States are New York, Los Angeles, Chicago, and Atlanta or Houston. It's one or the other. But you pick whichever one you want. Imagine if those cities were completely burned and all of those people had to spread out around the world or around the country. That would be an upheaval to that group of people, correct? There's 8 million people in New York City, and there's, if you talk metropolitan areas, there's even more. You're talking about potentially 50 million people that would have been up in one sixth of the United States population. Well, I don't know what the statistics would have been on this, but I suspect the four largest, largest cities of Philistia being burned to the ground would have had a major upheaval for those people, right? Absolutely. Does the punishment fit the crown here? Sounds pretty bad to sell people into slavery. I don't know if it does or not. Do you? Where do these punishments come from, though? So I don't know. But these are examples of how we sometimes say, well, we don't have the ability to judge the way God does. I might have looked at that and said, don't do that anymore. Or I might have looked at that and said, you probably all should go to jail for six months for doing that. But it does really sound extreme. It does. But it got their attention. But it did get their attention. And it didn't just happen. Today, yes. One time, it's been happening all the way. Mm -hmm. The Israelis before they went into Egypt, after they came out of the Egyptian bondage, they harassed them and aggravated yep. them and, and tried to destroy them in every way they could. The Edomites and the Moabites and the people along yep. the way. Sure. This has been going on for thousands of years, really, and God's had it with them. So I think that's why the punishment is serious. Yes. I think you're I think you're right. So if we look at it as like an individual one-time thing, seems like a lot. But if you factor in multiple times, maybe it's maybe it's not. Third, Phoenicia. Sometimes you see that with criminals. They got 17 penalties against them. And so if they finally just drop the hammer on them, it's like you can't get out of jail anymore. You know, I mean that you know it's bad that I'll even get out of jail again. But you clearly can't so those kinds of things, those judgments singularly don't necessarily match the same way that the, oh, if we look at it from a massive scale. Jill, you can read this one. This is, we're keeping going. This is Amos chapter 1, verses 9 10. Phoenicia is the area, this is modern day Lebanon. Uh, you may have seen or read in the Bible the cedars of Lebanon. Uh, this is just north of where Israel is. Jill, verses 9 and 10, dear. Is that Tyre? Uh, Tyre. Tyre. Mm -hmm. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Tyre and for 
Okay, so first of all, for three transgressions and for four, we see that again. I think that's what Dad was saying right there. This is not a one-time thing, but a repeated offense. They had broken their peace covenant. What does it say there with who? With Israel. Okay. So what is a peace covenant? We probably wouldn't use the word covenant today. We would probably use the word a peace treaty. Right? A peace treaty is an agreement between two sides to what? Or to not what? To quit fighting. To quit fighting right? So a treaty it would be to not fight with each other. But they had broken this peace covenant. What's the opposite of peace? War. War. Conflict. Whatever we're going to use right there. So what's the punishment for Tyre and for Phoenicia? Burn down the, ta- the forts, the palaces in Tyre, their chief city. You probably have noticed that the punishments are not done to the crab orchards and paint licks of these towns and cities, right? What's getting hit in these punishments? The chief cities, the big cities, the cities that are significant, the cities that people would say, this is a problem. Even today, when we go to war, you go to the command center. Sure. You don't attack the, the, the little people. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, that's three. We're not, eh, we're almost halfway there. All right, let's go to the next one, which is Edom. This is chapter 11, or excuse me, chapter 1, verses 11 and uh, 12. Uh, and Ed, do you care to read uh, Amos chapter 1, verses 11 and 12? Now, again, these are places that you're not necessarily going to be familiar with, but more importantly, what the crime was. They had murdered many Jews. Now, we don't see the word Israel here, but in a sense you do, because when it says murdered many Jews, what are they saying? What were the Israelites? They were Jews, right? So they had murdered many Jews. So again, Syria, Philistia, uh, Phoenicia, Edom, all of these places are doing some kind of crime toward the Jewish people, the people of Israel. Again, our punishment, the destruction of their cities. This is all the neighbors of Israel. Yes, ma'am? Okay, so we could spend a year talking about that, so I don't want to go too deep into it. But this notion of Israel being something of a holy land, right? And this desire for Christianity to have control of a holy land. I think a lot of it goes back to misinterpretation of what kingdom actually means. The kingdom is a church, right? and the kingdom is in heaven. But this notion of controlling, controlling this area, while that might be nice, I mean, that's a 
hotbed of Christianity in historically, that's kind of not really, I think in a lot of ways that's a misinterpretation of what the Bible is saying. I also think there's a little bit of guilt about what happened in World War II with the Holocaust and this lack of really helping by Christian groups to help the Jewish people. And so it's a way of sort of supporting that. It is very political now because there's a lot of militaristic and things, military type things that deal with Israel that's really beyond what we need to talk about within the church setting. Uh, but, you know, but yeah, it, it is a good point. But so often, I mean, there's, there's 2,000 years worth of crusades and desire to take back a place that doesn't, I don't know that God is too concerned. I mean, I don't even speak for God, but I don't know that God is too concerned with whether you control a city here on earth, but whether the people on earth are living a life that would get them salvation in heaven. It's two different things. We get awfully worked up about earthly kingdoms instead of health, uh, heavenly kingdoms. It doesn't. It, it, it doesn't. And, and, and I think that we, we read often in the Bible uh, that, that God would have no man to, to, to perish. But it becomes that person's responsibility to, deter, to, to find their salvation. So, sure. I think that's correct. Sure, sure. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. Uh, let's go to the next one. This is the uh, land of Ammon uh, or modern day Jordan. Let's go to verses, chapter 1, verses 13 through 15. Will, do you want to read this one? Rabbi. And it shall devour its palaces, and it shouting in the day of battle, and a tempest in the day of the whirlwind. The, their king shall go into captivity, he and his princes together, says the Lord. All right, thank you, sir. So in this one, has murdered Jewish women. Again, another crime against Israel, all right? And so the cities to be burned, the citizens to be enslaved, obviously, uh, things that we've uh, looked at quite a bit. You know, if you're reading this as someone from Israel, you're probably sitting there, yep, seems about right. That seems about right. They deserve that, right? Yep, probably need that one. Definitely need that one. It's not got the Israel yet. But it's real easy to look at these others and say, yep, they did all that. This is this, they deserve this. The next one. And Daniel, that's a, pretty much how the whole world has been. If you go to Africa, they've been fighting down there forever, and they still are. If you go to Russia, the Eastern Bloc, they've been fighting forever, and they still are. Korea, Japan, uh, 
China, you know, you, you yeah. got nine states, and you, you don't have to go far. And like Northern Ireland and Great Britain, people are warring. We've been fighting forever. Sure. You, can, you can't just point to one country. Well, there've been bad guys. Sure. And all the rest of these have been the same because that's just not true. That's, uh, they all have been a lot of bad people. Very uh, accurate statement. All right, let's go. Let's. We got to get a couple of these. Where our time is running a little short here. Let's uh, go to Moab. Uh, this is. We're in chapter two now. The first three verses. Uh, Connie, do you care to read that one? Carry off. Moab shall die with tumult and shouting and trumping sound. And I will cut off the judge from its midst and slay all its princes with him, said the Lord. This sentence ends almost everything that we've read so far. Says it does not say, says Amos, says the Lord. In this one, the crime for Moab had desecrated the tombs of the dead. Guess who's dead? They, the, tombs, the, guess whose tombs of the dead they desecrated? Israel. Right? Israel. And so they would be, the punishment, defeated in battle. Well, I guess this is different than having your town burned down, so maybe it's a slightly different punishment, but it doesn't seem like a real good one uh, even at that. All right? Again, Probably a people in Israel saying, yep, totally okay with that. Now, if we're not careful, we put ourselves in that same spot, right? We look at all of these other groups of people. They were wrong. They were wrong. They were wrong. All of these different religions, uh, they were wrong. They were wrong. They were wrong. Yep, deserved it. They needed that to happen to them. But it's going to come right back because we've got two more left. Judah and Israel. Tell me if you've heard of either of those two in the last few weeks. We've been talking a lot about them. And guess what? Whoever gets the reading here in a second is going to be a lot bigger. Israel gets 11 verses. I'll take care of that one. You don't have to do that. <laughs> but let's look at Judah first. Amos chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. Lucille, do you care to read that one, ma'am? Uh, actually, no, you're good. At five is good. Thank you, man. All right, let's go. Judah has rejected the word of God. We've not seen that yet, right? Why have we not seen that from Edom and from Moab and from Syria and from Phoenicia and these places? They left it a long time ago. They left it a long time. The word that was not for them. They weren't the chosen people. But these people in Judah and Israel were. And it says they had rejected the word of God and they had disobeyed God. Now that hits a little closer to home, right? Because all those other people were different nationalities. We might look at them different religions. But this is, let's use the term that they might be using, our people, right? They had 
or rejected the word of God, and they have disobeyed God. And what is the punishment for them? The temple in Jerusalem to be destroyed. If you've learned anything over the last few months, what was the most prominent place for the, is, for the Jewish people at this time? The most important place was the temple. And it would be destroyed for what reason? For disobedience. For rejecting the word of God. Interesting. Last one. Israel, Amos chapter 2, verses 6 through 16. I'll go with this one if you would be so kind as to follow along. <clears throat> Thus saith the Lord, for three transgressions of Israel and for four, I will not turn away its punishment because they sell the righteous for silver and the poor for a pair of sandals. They pant after the dust of the earth, which is on the head of the poor or of the poor and pervert the way of the humble. A man and his father go into the same girl to defile my holy name. They lie down by every altar on clothes taken in pledge and drink the wine of the condemned in the house of their God. Yet it was I who destroyed the Amorite before them whose height was like the height of the cedars, and he was as strong as the oaks. Yet I destroyed his fruit above and his roots beneath. And it was I who brought you up from the land of Egypt and led you 40 years through the wilderness to possess the land of the Amorite. I raised up some of your sons as prophets and some of your young men as Nazarites. Is it not so, O you children of Israel, says the Lord? But you gave the Nazarites wine to drink and commanded the prophets, saying, do not prophesy. Going a little bit further. Behold, I am weighted down by you as a cart full of sheaves is weighted down. Therefore, flight shall perish from the swift. The strong shall not strengthen his power, nor shall the mighty deliver himself. He shall not stand who handles the bow. The swift of foot shall not escape, nor shall he who rides a horse deliver himself. The most courageous men of might shall flee naked in that day. Last three words. That's a lot written right there. Now it was real easy to look at these other groups and point out the flaws the crimes that they had committed. And it was real easy to sit there and say, those punishments make sense. I'm good with that. Maybe they deserve it, at least in my opinion. But this is God's chosen people. Correct? So let's go back just a minute. What were their crimes? This is the most bullet points you've seen all night. Accepted bribes, enslaved the poor, had committed adultery, had stolen, were unthankful, had caused the innocent to sin. That's a lot, right? All those people that in the previous towns, the previous groups of people, they had all committed crimes against the Israelites. But it looks to me like the Israelites were committing a whole lot of crimes against their own people as well. What's the punishment? They would groan as a wagon loaded down with sheaves, right? Ever heard a wagon groan? Ever heard that? 
They do, right? Put enough stuff on it and they grow it. They probably grow even when you don't have anything on them. I think that's just part of wagons anyway. But they grow when they're weighted down. How many of you have ever grown when you've been weighted down? Ever carried something, ever moved something, a big piece of furniture? And you don't go three feet. You know, I don't know why doing that noise makes you carry it better, but it does, right? But you groan as a weighted down wagon. And their armies would stumble in battle. Effectively, what we see here is that Israel is a loser in this too. Also, Daniel, to me, what we see is we look at other people's sins mm-hmm. and think their sin is worse than ours. Yep. All right, guess we're done. That was mom, mom, mom made the closing remarks right there. So, uh, so, so we're all good. Now, you might say, all right, well, that's two chapters of Amos talking bad. Every book that we have read over the last two months has included a passage about the restoration of Israel. There's not been one book in all of its criticisms, in all of its complaints, in all of the problems that it had with what Israel has done that does not show a way out, right? right. In Amos chapter 9, verses 11 through 15, we see that after so many predictions of gloom and doom, we finally get something positive. If you turn to Amos chapter 9, you had to wait a long time. That's the last chapter. In fact, these are the last five verses of the book. But we talk, he talks about a restoration of a remnant for Israel. A remnant or a restoration that would be lasting and permanent. We see that the temple would be rebuilt. The kingdom will assume its ancient boundaries. Nature will be transfigured. People shall dwell forever in the land given to them by God. Okay, well, it worked out pretty good for a while, and then they kind of blew that as well. We've talked about this restoration in verse 11 says that it will come through the house of David. So maybe we're not talking about the restoration of a kingdom in Israel. But who are we talking about a restoration through the house of of David? Who came through the house of David? Jesus. Jesus did. So is the restoration a kingdom on a hill? In Jerusalem, in Israel, Judah. It's a new Jerusalem in heaven. A new Jerusalem in heaven. But it's only for who? People that are in the Lord's church. People that are in the Lord. That's who it's for. And you might say, why? Okay, that's fine. But the people that were in Israel felt like they were in the right. And they had the sharpest criticisms of any. I dare say that the sharper criticisms will fall on Christians than people that aren't Christians. Because we know the truth. And sometimes don't follow it, right? So, we see in every one of these readings... The statement, I will not turn away its punishment. For us, I think what mom said a minute ago was right. The punishment fits for them. 
For me, there will be an exception, right? She deserves it because we can all see that she did wrong. But I did wrong, but God knows my situation. Is that what it looks like in any of these communities in the book of Amos? We started with the ones that weren't the chosen people. We ended with the ones that were. And by all evidence of everything that we see, it requires following God, doing what is right, and a failure to do so results in a punishment for them. There's no reason to think it'd be any different for us. There's no evidence that proves or points to it being any different for us. So what's, what's our lesson to go forward with? It's an Old Testament book. This doesn't matter. It's something that we don't follow anymore. What's our lesson going forward? All of those work quite well. So our responsibility is to do what's right. To follow the word of God. To recognize that even though our neighbors and even though people around us might not be doing what they should always be doing, that should not be an excuse for us to do that or to do worse. But rather for us to do what's right and let the judgment day make those final decisions. So next week we'll talk about Obadiah. It's only one chapter. It's only two pages. We might just read the whole thing. I don't know. It's, uh, uh, we'll see how that is. We've read a lot of Amos tonight. I appreciate you all doing that. We've talked about a lot of different places that are um, uh, maybe unfamiliar to you. A lot of